This podcast contains strong language and graphic depictions of criminal offenses. This episode includes discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please leave us a five-star review on your favorite listening platform and share us with your friends. Now, let's get on with our cast introductions and jump right into the case. This is David. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That was Josiah. This is Josiah. <laughs> hey, I'm Hannah. Hey, guys, this is Sarah. My name is Nathan. And I'm your host, Tanner Azanero, a.k.a. The Odd One. And one of these days, I'm going to have a theme song for you to hear. So mm-hmm. I don't think there needs to be a theme song. I think just behind when you say The Odd One, it just goes... <laughs> nah, we're doing a theme song. <laughs> my ass shake (laughs) for what my podcast (laughs) just says trying really hard not to spit right now yeah and by by that i mean like on the mic like (laughs) (laughs) and make my ass shake (laughs) nathan's running around peeing i don't know why he's He's running around the house because he has to go to the bathroom. We leave all of this in. We're leaving all of this in. I don't know why Nathan hit play on the episode this early. I'm not starting until he's here. Idiot. How how are y'all's days? Uh, It was filled with a lot of, um, almost said just packages. And I was like, they don't know I deliver for Amazon. Lots of packages. Um, I'm cutting out you saying you deliver for Amazon. Lots of packages. David and Nathan are peeing together now. <laughs> they're, they're both running around peeing they're everywhere. Crossing the streams. Just marking their territory <laughs> around the house. Oh, so today I learned that there wait, what was it? Um there are worms, freshwater worms, that they fight with their dual penises. <laughs> because they're both they're hermaphrodites. Yeah. So they have they have male and female parts and because fostering children inside of you is so calorie intensive for such a small little organism, they fight with their penises and the loser gets impregnated. So they lose and they have to be the ones to sacrifice themselves possibly for the raising of children. Wow. Nathan, make it. I'm making a note right now. Uh, after this episode's fully over, we're playing that <laughs> <laughs> that old thing that he just talked about. <laughs> Did you learn that from that podcast you were listening to? Digital penis. So that's also fun. I didn't hear anything except digital penis. Vestigial penis. Oh. Well, then I, I heard digital as well. Oh, digital penis. <laughs> uh, shout out to the podcast Ology, which is uh, where so good. Josiah got that information.
December 16th, 2000, Tallahassee, Florida. I already hate this story. <laughs> I mean, typical. Florida man. 31-year-old Mike Williams woke up early that morning to go duck hunting out on Lake Seminole. The young husband and father was an avid duck hunter who was very familiar with Lake Seminole, so it wasn't unusual for him to go on a solo expedition out on the lake. He tells his wife, Denise Williams, he'll be back by noon to celebrate their sixth wedding anniversary. Aww. Do you know this case? Don't, don't spoil anything for anybody. Josiah knows, this, Josiah knows this case. Their plan was a romantic getaway to a bed and breakfast. I said B&B, and then for some reason I expected there to be an air behind it. But <laughs> God, it's 2020. Their plan was a romantic getaway to a bed and breakfast that evening. Noon came and went. No response from Mike whatsoever as to his whereabouts. As the late afternoon came, a search out on Lake Seminole began. An unusual cold front swept through the 30,000-acre lake, with temperatures dropping to 19 degrees Fahrenheit, which for Florida is crazy. It's absolutely yeah, crazy. Yeah. so low. The cold, accompanied by rain and high winds, suggested that ominous weather reflected the worry and fear of Mike Williams' wife, family, and friends. Though he was an experienced duck hunter, the idea that some kind of accident may have occurred hung in the air. Mike's longtime best friend, Brian Winchester, had joined the search and was the first to make a discovery. Using a spotlight from a search boat, Brian and his father found Mike's boat, but no Mike. Inside the boat, they found Mike Williams' shotgun, as well as some decoys, suggesting that he hadn't started hunting yet before something went very wrong. Uh, if you're like me and you know nothing about hunting, decoys are literally fake ducks. Don't know how that helps them hunt. I actually knew that. So my grandpa used to ducks, hunt ducks. Ducks come in and land by other groups of ducks. And so when you have them out sitting in front of your, mm -hmm. uh, your blind, they'll come and land with the other ducks. Yes, and so yes, as they're they... landing, you can just pop them out of the sky. Yep. <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. People have duck calls, too. Did you grab these duck calls, too? Yeah, and you use a call to literally yeah. draw them you into them in. your... Loser. <laughs> Loser. Loser. Hey, I've heard this call before. Mm. I'm I sure said, did you grow up in the South, Josiah? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like I grew up in Tennessee. What? <laughs> okay. The theory was coming together. Lake Seminole, which used to be a peach tree orchard before it was flooded, had many oh. thick tree roots and limbs underneath the water that were hard to see. It was likely that Mike Williams' boat had bumped against one of the unseen sunken trees, knocking him off the boat into the water. Mike, an experienced hunter, would have been wearing his fishing waders. Again, if you don't know anything about fishing or hunting, uh, fishing waders are like waterproof overalls. Uh, if knocked off the boat, is that a good description of it, or is yeah. that you're it's laughing weird. at it's me? Like, like really, really high boots. Do not know what waders are. I, okay, <laughs> city folk in their flying machines. <laughs> Shut up, Tennessee boy. Listen, we're funny. from the north. Listen, yeah, but even here's I the know thing, what though. Those are. Real quick aside, I'm from fucking Washington State. The amount of nature and outdoorsy shit there is to do there is, is quite high. Is endless, yeah. <laughs> and I am I'm just a baby. 
baby boy. Okay, <laughs> that's a lot of people are going to be judging for that, judging me for that because you know who didn't know what waiters were? None of our audience, just me. So. <laughs> Anyway, my brother-in-law works for a company that makes a lot of duck hunting gear mm -hmm. and they have a special client that is very well off and they made him a pair of waders. And because waders have the boot attached to the, the overalls, they made him a special one-off pair of size 17 <gasps> waders. Whoa. Oh. They were like $500 because they had to like just make them for him. That's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. I Size 17? Yeah, he was huge. Imagine how many of my feet could fit into his shoe. <laughs> Imagine how much Imagine how many Sarah's body could fit into <laughs> those, those oh pair of waiters. A lot of foot. That's <laughs> okay. good fight. If knocked off the boat, it would be easy for Mike's waiters to fill with water, which would add a substantial amount of weight to Mike and make it exponentially harder to get out of the lake. Also native to the area are alligators. Sadly, it seemed this gruesome death was quite a plausible explanation for Mike's disappearance and abandoned boat. Ten days later, police discover a fisherman's hat in the lake, which is confirmed to be Mike's by Brian Winchester, who shows police a photo of Mike wearing that very hat. After ten days, it seemed that all hope of finding Mike Williams alive was gone. More days passed, those days turned into weeks, and then those weeks turned into months. Then seven months later, in June of 2001, Mike's chest-high waders were found in Lake Seminole. Something was strange, however, these waders looked as new as any pair straight out of the store. In addition to that, they were perfectly intact with no sign of any gator attack or human remains on them. At that point, Mike Williams was the only hunter to go overboard in Lake Seminole and not be found. It was not usual for the lake to leave no traces of its dead. Mike Williams' disappearance had become a cold case. Police were at a loss. All the evidence suggested that Mike had fallen overboard and drowned, but they couldn't explain why no evidence of his remains weren't showing up. As the rest of the town, family, and friends moved on, there was one woman who refused to accept the strange circumstances. Mike Williams' mom, Cheryl Williams. Cheryl actively and openly campaigned for further investigation into her son's disappearance, as she did not believe that her son was eaten by alligators as police suggested. Her biggest problem was with the cold weather, much too cold for alligators to be feasting on an entire human being. In addition, alligators never eat humans whole. There's always evidence of an attack left behind. Wildlife experts agreed that it would be very unusual for alligators to eat during that time of year as they go into a sort of hibernation, but could offer up no other explanation to Cheryl Williams. A short time after the discovery of Mike's waders, police also find Mike's hunting jacket, his still legible hunting license, and a functional flashlight that belonged to him all under the murky waters of Lake Seminole, and more than half a year after his disappearance. All the items recovered came out seemingly new and not as if they had spent that entire time underwater. Hmm. I, I want to... I'm not going to add anything that like gives anything away. Mm -hmm. um, this Also, this lake is not... Because this man-made is not very deep, 
and looking for other bodies, they literally go out on a boat in a grid pattern with a large stick and slowly press. And when they feel the bottom, they move forward. And so like, it's not like they had to call out divers and things like this, but when they looked for bodies, you said that no other uh, boater had gone out and not been found. Mm -hmm. They literally always found these bodies by pressing down and then they would find Mm -hmm. the body on the bottom that way. So it's, it's not like it's this like 50, 60 feet deep. It's like, maybe 10 feet deep mm-hmm. at its deepest. Yeah. So someone's just going mm-hmm. and like tossing a few of his belongings in like every so often or like just people are finding them at different, is this like other people out on the lake or like seeing these things and calling them in or like do they patrol um, often enough? So to, like, those items were recovered by police according to Crime Watch uh, Yeah, I believe it was during their requisite searches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. I also feel like somebody is just dumping stuff in there. I feel like somebody disappointed him, heard that they were like, we think it's a gator attack, and they were like, that's good. So they just kind of throwing stuff in. One year after his disappearance, Denise Williams, Mike's wife, brought a flower and a note to Mike at Lake Seminole and left them there in his memory. She told friends that she had been seeing a Christian counselor who had been encouraging her to let Mike go. Six months before this moment, Denise had her husband Mike legally declared dead. She had been doing her best to raise and support their young daughter as a now single mother. Her burden was lessened by the three different hefty life insurance policies that Mike had taken out before he passed. Assisting her in her insurance claims was Mike's longtime best friend, Brian Winchester, who was an insurance broker. Brian and his wife, Kathy, both went to high school with Mike and Denise, and all four have been longtime friends, each couple marrying their high school sweetheart. While Denise and the Winchester couple stayed close, the passage of time seemed to be turning Denise against her mother-in-law, Cheryl, who continued to advocate for further investigation into her son's disappearance. Cheryl Williams took out expensive ads in newspapers, pleading for the public to assist her in finding her son and telling anyone who would listen that his disappearance was more than just an accident. According to an article by the Capitol News Service, Cheryl wrote 2,600 letters to the governor, put up billboards, and purchased full-page ads in newspapers and stood outside churches with signs. This successfully brought publicity to the case, but it was at the cost of her entire retirement fund. Mm-hmm. Oh, jeez. That's a mother right there. Yeah, like, I mean, just any mom is probably out there being like, well, yeah, of course, that's what you do. Like, your son goes missing and everyone's just like, move on, lady. Of course she's not going to move on. We, we stand, Cheryl. Yeah. Around <laughs> town, people knew Cheryl as the tiny old woman with the pigtails who wouldn't stop making a scene about her missing son. In an interview with Dateline NBC, Cheryl said, quote, everybody called me crazy, end quote. Among those people, and likely the most upset with Cheryl, was Denise Williams. Denise threatened Cheryl, saying that Mike was gone and that all this publicity was not good for their daughter, young Ansley. 
Denise told Cheryl that if she ever wanted to see her granddaughter ever again, she would stop calling for further investigation into the case. Cheryl Williams did not stop her campaign, and Denise stayed true to her word. Cheryl never saw her granddaughter in her childhood again, and to this day, they remain estranged. That's sad. That's so sad. It's so sad, but it's, I mean, it's, it's not dedication surprising. to her own son. Also, what the hell, Denise? I don't know why she's just, I mean, like, Denise I get. Denise is saying, like, Mike's gone. Please stop, like, making this a big deal. Like, I have a kid to raise, and it's confusing to her if you're, like, something's wrong when I'm just trying to, like, move on. And also when you're a single parent, reopening that wound constantly and seeing your mother-in-law constantly doing that it's like you can't ever get to a point where you can just move on and raise your kid you know sure, it's not the most atypical also, response yeah i mean it's not it's not atypical. Yeah, but also that's pretty that's pretty incriminating is what i'm saying like that yeah. seems fishy if you no ever want to see intended. your granddaughter again stop telling no police to look into this, this yeah. is, sounds very fishy that is <laughs> that is what she said it sounds alligatory. Uh, this is florida i agree with you hannah i feel like i mean yes i i get that but i'm also like i would be outraged and upset and just like so frustrated that's how i I mean i'm not condoning the never see your grandchild again i'm just saying the simple just like needing to move on that's all i was saying yeah it's also hard to be in these people's shoes especially as like none of us are mothers or fathers and someday I will be a mother. <laughs> a mother. A mother. Yes. But like, it's just, it's hard to be in the shoes of those people and like, yeah. kind of like, you know, like validate their action or like feelings because we don't feel what no, they yeah, feel. No, yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying it also is paired with the whole best friend and his wife and her and just the whole situation is fishy. I also think it's fishy. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Is that was that your joke? Because they were saying it's fishy, and you were saying it's gatory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just I hate straight up bad. Straight up bad. That was for the Floridians just, out yeah. there. I feel like you are uniquely qualified for this, not just because you know the story, but also because you understand all the Hoboken hunting things that are going on. <laughs> I do appreciate that because I was like, I was writing this episode, and I was like, I feel like I have to explain stuff. Josiah's gonna laugh at me. <laughs> I knew, I knew you were gonna be like, um, actually, waiters are this. Like, because like I'm a city southerner, but because you're in the south, you just know these things by default. But, but again, I'm a I should know these Ohio things. boy, and I don't. Okay, but also I want to point out that I've never gone duck hunting or any hunting of any sort. However, I have known what all of these things are. Let me tell you, duck uh, duck hunting is cold as fuck. It's what? Cold as fuck. Oh. I thought you said cult as fuck. Yes. <laughs> yo, let's, let's, say, cult, yo. let's be honest. They're <laughs> yeah. duck hunting. Yeah. We're, we're establishing our own vernacular as a podcast <laughs> now. Wow. Cult. Yo, this shit cult. <laughs> the only thing I know about duck hunting is the character Duck Hunt in Smash and the video game Duck Hunt from like the 80s. <laughs> so That's exactly what it's like. He's and then a dog like you're and duck, duck hunting and this dog just pops up out of But also over. my uncle is a big hunter and but he doesn't really hunt ducks. More of a pheasant hunter. Mm. I know that you have to lead a duck, right? That's a you term. Know, how lead we hunt a duck deer cuz that's all we got. What is what is the term? It's like you have to shoot 
Oh, you can lead a duck so to be, water, but you can't make it drink. Is that what the term is? Any, anything, anything you're trying to shoot that that's that's moving, you have to put a lead on it so that by the time you fire and the time it takes for the bullet to get to the object. No, I know what it is, but yeah. that's the correct term, yes. right? Yes. I, I thought you guys were smarter than Tanner. Duck. So I was like, no, it's no. like football. I mean, yeah, you call them in, but you're not like, no, no, okay, no. 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 To the left of this tree <laughs> and to the right. It's like fo- it's like football. It's football. When no. they're running a certain way, you gotta throw it like yeah. ahead of them because See, they're gonna meet the ball. Nice, I, nice job on thank knowing you. the the, the terms. There's some awesome. there's some book or movie or TV show I really can't remember, but one <laughs> book or movie or TV show. Some <laughs> form of media <laughs> where the the quote from like the wise old man is, "You gotta lead a duck, son." Mm. Anyone else okay. know that one? That, no. No, I mean, I don't, I don't read. So. But that just is stuck in my brain. <laughs> I've never had duck. Does duck taste good? Yeah, it, it does. Actually. It, it does like, actually. It's like amazing. oily chicken. I also yeah. recommend rabbit. What? I heard that duck I, okay. eggs are like This is a total really tangent, and I need to stop. We'll probably cut this. Okay. I would try basically any meat other than people. I've, so, <laughs> I've tried alligator. alligator. I've had gator. Tasty as shit. Gator's great. Gator uh, is good. It's very much like chicken. Good. I haven't had Bear, I've had zebra. I've had bear. bear. You've had hell. zebra? Yeah. Why That's does, crazy. Why does everything yeah. taste like chicken? No, no, no. Okay, so there's... I was actually learning about this day by a zoologist, and there is a type of compound that is in dark meat, and that is what enables it to be a, uh, a carrier of blood. And so light meat... Um, from any animal that doesn't have this compound that carries a lot of blood often tastes the same because it doesn't have that very heavy oxygen. Interesting. And chicken is just the thing we eat most. Yeah, because chickens don't really do that much. Exactly. Mm. But no, they specifically mentioned gators for that reason. Mm. The more you know. While Cheryl lost contact with her granddaughter, after years of campaigning, people began to pay attention. The FDLE, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, an agency with statewide jurisdiction, took on Mike Williams' case. They felt that there were more strange aspects to Mike's disappearance than just his possessions being found in perfect condition months after he vanished. They thought it was strange that Denise Williams convinced the state to declare her husband legally dead after only six months. The usual amount of time needed for a missing person to be declared dead in the state of Florida? Five years. Wow. The evidence that Denise used to convince the state to declare Mike as dead were the pristine jacket, hunting license, waiters, and still functional flashlight that were found months after initial searches. Once Mike was declared dead, Denise was able to collect from her husband's three life insurance policies. Mm. One of the policies was made six months before his disappearance. The total amount of money? $1.75 million. Come on. All right, so Seriously? So yeah. we're all right and thinking that this was a little fishy. Yeah, no, but also, like, why... <laughs> what is wrong? Like, okay, I guess I just have to ask what was wrong in their marriage and what was wrong with him that, like, she would decide, mm, you know what, this money is worth killing my husband and becoming a single mother. I, 
I might be sure I'm ignorant, but why does he have three life insurance policies? He is a very successful. I don't remember what uh, what uh, area, what field he worked in. I think it was real estate, actually. But he was very successful. He was very wealthy, and um, he was like a new father with a young child. So also, like, you can have one through work. You can have a personal one. You can have one through uh, multiple things. I do. So don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure. Um, that like 0.25 of that was the other two policies and 1.5 mil was, was the, one? was the one made six months before he died. Yeah. Mm. I'm pretty sure that's right. Mm. Not suspicious at all. Accounting. In addition to this, investigators became aware that Denise had become dating again, but it was who her new boyfriend was that made every alarm bell ring. Denise Williams had begun a relationship with Brian Winchester. Who is married? best friend. Who is married? And the insurance agent who sold his life insurance. So Brian's his best friend and he's the insurance agent who sold the life insurance policy. It's a massive conflict of interest. Brian and Kathy had divorced sometime before Denise and him began dating. Uh, so this is a few years after. It's like four years after. Total bra moment. I think the boy did it. Denise had also dated a few other men prior to beginning her relationship with Brian Winchester. However, five years after Mike's disappearance, Denise and Brian got married. Uh, Brian <laughs> moved into the house where Mike had once lived with his wife and daughter. And the new couple's lives continued on. Police and prosecutors began to hone in on their prime suspects, but with only circumstantial evidence, no evidence of a crime, and no body, there was a mountain of groundwork and discovery to be made by law enforcement for the arrests they wanted. And though it took a long, long time, the case never sat dormant after Mike's mother, Cheryl, revived it in the eyes of the law. Police and prosecutors worked this case for 10 years more years in 2012 12 years after mike williams disappearance and seven years into the marriage of brian and denise winchester it seems trouble in paradise had grown to a boiling point brian moved out and denise wanted a divorce but brian continued to prolong divorce proceedings for years Jumping ahead to August 2016, Denise was getting in her car to go to work one morning. When she turned the car on, a figure popped up behind her in the back seat, pressed a gun into her ribs, and commanded her to drive. It was Brian Winchester. Denise pulled into a parking lot where she successfully talked Brian into releasing her. After promising not to call police, Brian exited the vehicle. Sorry. After Denise promised not to call police, Brian exited the vehicle and let Denise go. Denise then immediately called the police. <laughs> hey, 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 Denise. Of course. Up for Denise my you let him out, lock the door, hey, yeah. call the police. <laughs> When brought in for an interview, Denise explained that Brian was hysterical and making statements that his plan seemed to be to kill himself with Denise in the car if he had any kind of plan at all. 
There was another person listening in on this interview who couldn't care less about Denise and Brian's toxic marital struggles. An agent for the FDLE who was working Mike Williams' disappearance. The rift in the couple was the perfect opportunity for police to get them to turn on each other and finally reveal what happened to Mike. Police didn't believe that Brian intended to just kill himself due to the fact that Denise said he had also brought along bleach and a tarp along with the gun when he kidnapped her. They tell Denise that they believe he intended on killing her. The cops play on Denise's side of the court, telling her they believe that he killed Mike and was planning to do the same to her. They wanted to watch her reactions and see if she knew more than she was letting on. When they get a bit more forward with her and asks if she thinks she knows where Mike could be buried, she says she believes he died in the lake. When they ask why she thinks that, her response is, I just do. Denise continues to deflect conversation away from Mike, saying she's had such a frightening day and that she doesn't want to think about her previous missing husband. She ends the conversation continuing to say she knows nothing about Mike's disappearance and insisting that she believes he died accidentally on the lake. Brian is arrested for kidnapping Denise and a year later he pleaded no contest to the charges. At sentencing, Denise tells the judge that he's dangerous and if you don't give him life in prison, he will get out and finish what he started, aka attempting to kill me. The judge sentences Brian to 20 years. The very next day, the FDLE discovered human remains in a shallow grave and announced to the public that they were the remains of Mike Williams. Mm. Forensic analysis concluded that Mike Williams was murdered. His body was discovered 50 miles away from Lake Seminole, buried off a dead-end road. Five months after the discovery of his body, after further investigation by police to make sure they had all the evidence they needed, Denise was arrested on May 8th, 2018. It was her daughter Ansley's 19th birthday, nearly 18 years after Mike went missing. Wow. The indictment said that Denise had conspired with Brian Winchester to have her husband, Mike, killed. She pleaded not guilty. If convicted, she would face a mandatory life sentence. Brian Winchester was not arrested. Police had said that they needed to make a deal with the devil. In exchange for the location of Mike's body and his testimony against Denise, Brian Winchester would get 20 years for the kidnapping of Denise and not face any murder charges. Many different witnesses took the stand for the prosecution, but the most damning of them all was the testimony of Brian Winchester. Before I play this long audio clip for you, it's important to note that Brian admitted that the affair between him and Denise had begun years before Mike's disappearance. Ouch. The following is Brian Winchester's testimony, edited and cut for time. At some point, were there thoughts of how you and Denise could be together? Yes, sir. Um, How did that get initiated I think 
I think it even started prior to that as, as I've thought about this and had plenty of time alone to think about it. Um, one thing that I have remembered is um, the prior year, uh, Mike and I were on a um, hunting trip together and it was at a, a lake that was dry and we had to walk across the mud and there were places in the mud where I don't know how to describe it, but basically you could fall through the mud and there was nothing underneath. It was like, it was basically, I guess people would call it like quicksand. Um, and uh, Mike fell into one of those mud holes at one time. Um, and it was just he and I out there. And I helped him out of it. And he, he had dropped his gun in there as well. And he ended up going back in it after his gun. Um, but um, anyways, I remember telling Denise about that and how if I hadn't have been there or if I hadn't helped him out that, um, you know, it's very likely he would have disappeared and nobody would have known what happened to him. But um, that's just something that I had remembered uh, in the past few months and thinking about this. But um, I think it was gradual that we, you know, the more we were together, the more we wanted to be together. Um, and the more we griped about Kathy and Mike, the more we wanted to be together. Um, it just kind of, it, it just got worse and worse. I mean, we just, it just snowballed. We just, uh, he was becoming a couple of things. He was getting angrier and angrier about the fact that she wasn't having sex with him. Um, he and I took a trip in November out to Arkansas together, so we spent 20 hours in the car together, and um, I heard a lot uh, about how unhappy he was, you know, with Denise, and uh, he was not happy with not having not having sex. Of course, I was, I didn't want him having sex with her. Uh, she didn't want to have sex with him, but... Um, so he even talked about moving away. He talked about moving out west. He talked about all kind of, you know, things. But um, he was becoming very uh, unhappy, and he was also becoming suspicious. Um, he raised uh, his suspicions with me, not about me, but about Denise uh, on that trip to Arkansas, um, that he thought something was going on with her. He... He thought she was using drugs. He thought uh, he had seen money disappearing. She'd been taking cash withdrawals out of the ATM, which I knew was for travel for us when we would go out of town. Um, but he, he kind of thought it might be for drugs or something. Um, I remember, But I remember Denise and I talking about um, there was some medication. There was some medication that Kathy had. And uh, we talked about uh, giving her a little bit of that medication that would cause her to sleep really heavy um, and make sure that she slept really good uh, through all of it because uh, I didn't want her to wake up and realize how early. I didn't want her to know how early I was uh, leaving the next morning. Um, so the plan with Mike was that I would meet him at a gas station on Thomasville Road up near the overpass. Well, the overpass I don't think was there at that point, but 
meet him up at a gas station up near the McDonald's up there. <clears throat> and uh, I met him there. I had told him that uh, we were going to go to a secret special spot to go hunting. And, um, and that he needed to bring his waders. I had to make sure that he brought his waders because the belief was there was kind of like a there still is probably like a duck hunter's myth that if you fall overboard with your waders, you're going to sink really quick and drown. So I had to make sure that he brought his waders. And um, so I told him about this, you know, great spot that we were going to go and he needed to bring his waders. So I met him at the gas station and I told him when he drove up, I was real paranoid about phones and him calling me and there being a record of him calling me. So I told him that my battery was dead on my phone, that there was no reason for him to call me um, as we were driving over to the lake. Because normally we would have called and talked to each other uh, on the phone or even ridden together. I, I don't even remember how or why I, I told him that I needed to use my vehicle instead of just going in his. But for somehow I, I came up with some reason to do that. Um, so that you called him and tried to get him to make sure he was going to get the waiters. Um, when did you call him and talk about that? I don't remember specifically. We, we talked several times. You know, Mike and I talked every day um, ourselves. Um, and uh, so, you know, we talked about hunting all the time. Uh, and we talked about this trip several times prior to it happening. Okay. Um, so I uh, followed him over to the lake. He had his boat behind his Bronco, and I followed him in my white Suburban. What lake? Uh, lake Seminole, which is about 50 minutes away. And um, I, uh, I had told him what landing we needed to go to, and so we pulled into the landing and uh, launched the boat and uh, I I said something I, I had to make sure that he had the waiters on so I said something about we're running low on time or, or you know we're going to be really pushed and why it, was it so important for the waiters to be on because I believed and we believed that that if you fell overboard with the waiters on that you would sink pretty quickly so, um, I told him something like, we're, you know, we're running late, you know, we need to go ahead and put our waiters on, you know, here and now, uh, before we get in and, and go, and so we both did that, and because I knew where we were going hunting, um, I was in the back of the boat driving, and he was, uh, in the front, um, so... It was a uh, what's called a genoo. It's basically a canoe that has a flat uh, flat back that you can put a motor, a small motor, on the back of it. I'm familiar with canoes. Canoes can be a little tipsy. This boat, the same way. this boat was, yes, basically like a canoe, so pretty pretty tippy. Okay, so you had you put the boat in the water and you're heading out and you're driving. Yes, sir. I was driving and I know I was very concerned about the time um 
everything had taken longer than what I had anticipated and I had to be back in town early enough in time to meet my father-in-law for, for my alibi trip to occur. And so we, we headed out and there was a deep area maybe a couple hundred yards from the landing that we put in at. And um, we got to that area that I knew was a, a deep area. And I, I don't remember exactly how I got him to stand up, but I don't know if I pretended something was wrong with the motor or the weight in the boat was off or something, but I, I basically stopped the boat and got him to, to stand up. And when he did, I pushed him into the water. What happened next? So he was in the water and he was like struggling and the motor of the boat was still running and I pulled off just a little bit to get kind of away from him so that he couldn't reach back into the boat. And I didn't know it at the time. I, I didn't know if he was trying to swim or I didn't know what was going on. But, but what I came to find out or eventually realized was he was taking the waders and the jacket off. And he, uh, he got those off. And I, I think I forgot to tell you about this part before, but, um, but I remember now that that area of the lake had a lot of um, snags, a lot of dead trees that come up out of the water, and there's a lot of stumps that come up out of the water. <laughs> and he swam over to one of those stumps and held on to it. And he was panicking, and I was panicking, and none of this was like going well. I thought it was going to go. And I didn't, I didn't know what to do, but, um, he was, he started to yell. And I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know how to get out of that situation. <laughs> and so, I had my gun in the boat. <laughs> and uh, so I loaded my gun and I just, I made one or two circles around. <laughs> and I ended up circling closer towards him and he was in the water. And as I passed by, I shot him. Where did you shoot him? In the head. When I 
heard the story for the first time. I was delivering packages and I, I remember just sitting outside of a house and I just in awe of the fact that just how fucked up the situation is. Like literally telling the truth about wanting to leave your wife or your best friend's wife is worse than shooting him in the head as he struggles to stay above water in a lake in the early morning. It is genuinely one of the saddest things I had heard in a long time. Mm. It made, it still makes me so sad. It's his best friend. I feel like he had to do a lot of like separation and dehumanizing of Mike. Like he had to detach himself and be like, okay, I want to be with Denise. This is what we want. This is the only way to do that. Cause like hearing him tell that back, it obviously upset him. And he's had a lot of time to think about that and just like recount that and feel guilt and shame over that. But I mean, in the moment, like at that time that that was happening, yes, he was panicking and it like wasn't going the way he was planning on it going. But I can't even imagine like how, how he had to like separate the fact that like, this is my best friend and somebody that I've like done a lot of life with and have him just be like, okay, this is the obstacle standing in my way of like being with Denise and like that's kind of what gets him to shoot him I in my, the, in my brain. But how do you continue to be someone's best friend? Like for, for a long time, like he said that it, it was going on for a while. So years. Like, I think, I years. think their affair started in 97 and Mike was oh. killed in 2000. Okay. All right. So for three years, he's been like having this affair with his best friend's wife. How do you continue being this person's best friend spending all this time together? He just, he said, they talked every single day. Like they talked every day in their own in their own right, like about hunting, about whatever. How do you continue being someone's friend and bold face lie to them? I mean not you're not lying, but it's a lie by omission. Like you're like how do you continue being someone's best friend knowing that you're sleeping with his wife? I don't know. I mean like I think that's what I mean about like he, you know, spent like three however many years just kind of I don't know, like not being a friend to this guy who's supposed to be his best friend. And so I feel like, I don't know, at that point he was just an obstacle. And one last just, I don't know, it's it's not necessarily important, but it's just like a weird layer to add is I assume that the trip out to Arkansas was for hunting because my brother-in-law goes out to Arkansas for hunting and... It just adds a weird layer of, it makes me wonder if as they're on that 20 hour trip, if that crossed his mind of that's how he would do it. Like, and you're just sitting with that for 20 hours and. I think they had the plan at did that they, point. I, I, think, I don't know don't, the timeline. Don't quote me well. on that. I think at that point they had the plan. But it's just, I don't know. The fact that it's. Uh, it was for sure on his mind by that point. Yeah, at least. and 
as I said, I think it was a trip for duck hunting probably. It just, I don't know, it just adds another level of just kind of creepy as fuck feeling to it. And it just, it makes me so sad. Also, oh, go on. I think, because what I look at is, I look at the issues that his confession pointed out. He focused a lot on the sexual nature of what Mike was talking about. And looking at I will say, at least in those snippets, that was 12 minutes of an hour and like 45 minute testimony. So fair. I will also say typically what I have seen, what I understand is obviously sex is a big part of a marriage. However, usually that is exemplary of deeper issues. And so it's likely that Mike and his best friend were talking about those deeper issues, but that's not what he brought up. He brought up the sex because that's the part he's involved with. Yeah. And so that's why why that, at least in, at least what I heard and what we heard, is what's predominant in his mind. And it's pretty obvious from the audio that this man is not a sociopath. His staccato nature is too irregular to be fake. But he is a hunter. And a lot of the sort of initial plan, like I'm going to use the waiters, I'm going to push them in the water, all that's very planned out in a very hunter-like mindset. Like, okay, this is logically how we deal with it. And then when everything went sideways, he was like, is when he finally hit the kind of, oh shit, this is what we got to do fan, which I think is what led to his more, the breakdown of the situation, I think, represents his breakdown in the confession and why it haunted him more. So if he had done this in his very like planned, premeditated manner, that might have had a different effect than if everything had gone sideways. That's a really good point, actually. Hmm. Yeah. Nathan? I don't... I don't know. That made me sad. I don't yeah. really have anything else to say. I, I'm sad. I've <laughs> listened to a lot of true crime podcasts and this is the one that the first time I heard it and now hearing it again it it is just the sad I think of my brother and my other people that I call my best friend I can't it makes me so sad I think I always try to pick cases that I feel like have like at least one aspect that like set them apart um yeah. Not that, you know, any loss of life means more than any other, um, but just something interesting for the story. Uh, and, you know, other than the craziness of a plot of, uh, of a wife cheating on her husband and he's killed by his best friend, that testimony, like, beat me down the first time I heard it. The two parts that stuck out to me as the most troubling it would be a nice word for it is where the trip where Mike's literally so in the dark about it, but he's on, he's just on the cusp of it, right. but he would, he would never ever expect that from Brian ever. Right. So he's yeah, like, I think, huge leap. I think she's cheating on me, but I just don't know with who, or I think maybe it's drugs. All this money's leaving. And then Brian's just sitting there it, yeah. with yeah. all of that and doesn't say anything. And Mike still like would like, would take a bullet for Brian. And and did, but Literally it was Brian. Fucking did Literally take. fucking did, but it came from Brian, and and just the thought of Mike clinging onto a tree, 
That is the like set, the, yeah. the moments of just pure fucking confusion and fear mm-hmm. and confusion. Because there's, seeing... I don't even like to me. I wouldn't even imagine that there's a way in that time frame, especially with the you know survival instincts kicking in of him even knowing what's going on. Like there's right. no way he in that moment he like, oh my Pieced god, it's it together. You. Like yeah, yeah no, right. he's yeah. just like, Why what's the fuck happening? Is my best friend? And like, what's happening? And then life Got just stops. <laughs> yeah. And then, and that, like, those parts to me are just the worst, the mm-hmm. worst parts. And I, and part of it, too, is I agree. I don't think Brian's a sociopath or anything. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say I relate to him, but, like, I felt a person, like, mm-hmm. telling this testimony. No, it was not, it was not almost like a machine. It was, it was a person yeah. telling the story. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I don't really feel bad for him, but, like. You could like I. It felt like a person's mistake. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel as far away as the people that feel no right. remorse. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. What happened to Denise again? Um, Arrested. Yeah, but like she in jail right now. This is her trial. Is what okay. we're in right now. So, Brian continued on to say that after he hid Mike's body away from Lake Seminole, Denise had asked him to plant the jacket, waiters flashlight and hunting license in the lake so that Denise could use them as evidence to collect the life insurance. He also testified that Denise asked him to eliminate any other possible witnesses to the crime who could implicate them. Not witnesses. There weren't witnesses, but just anyone else who might have an inkling of what's going on. Uh, He said that Denise was like, maybe you should kill them, but uh, he denied. He denied that uh, request of hers. Brian Winchester also said that Denise's reasoning to him for having Mike killed was because as a Christian, she didn't think divorce was an option. So murder is. Oh my goodness. God bless Christianity. Oh my God. Y'all better read that. Literally, Cain and Abel is like one of the first stories in the Bible where we hate This is a fucked up concept. You know what? I hate how common that is also in cases. Like, I've heard that so Ah, many times. I can't get divorced. I'm a Christian, so kill him. That was my question from the beginning. It was like, was. Was this their only, like, they felt like this was their only option. Why was this their only option? I understand that, like, not following through with this plot would have completely upended and uprooted their entire lives. So there's a lot of stuff in this case, uh, like, I could have gone down, and, you know, I wrote this episode today in a much shorter time span, but I could have gone down rabbit holes of little tiny details that I think further explain Denise's involvement and reasoning, but I think at the end of the day, she just stopped loving her husband and wanted what she wanted and really didn't care about anything. And even though Brian pulled the trigger, she masterminded everything sociopathic in her response to all also, of it. after asking her now husband, or at the time boyfriend, I think, to kill him, she asked her now husband to eliminate all the other people. Mm-hmm. That is just like the trauma of like let's let's make let's humanize him for a second. The trauma of killing your best friend, and then your now wife saying, "Oh, also let's eliminate everybody else that might know." That is just 
I don't know. This story gets me crazy, more and especially when their marriage leads to you know divorce, nothing. divorce, and him, and him kidnapping her, right? Like, and to then like, how, was it worth? Because he's Tell driven me. to the edge, and she's just like, I just want a divorce. Like she doesn't care about anything, yeah. no. at all. She's the worst at all. So Denise sucks, but Denise sucks. <laughs> eight hours after deliberation, a jury agreed that Denise sucks. She was found <laughs> guilty was the of first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. She Good. was also nice. found guilty of sucking ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's in the report. <laughs> need to become t-shirts. What are you in the for? Judge. Sucking ass. The judge. Denise, you suck ass, ass. 20 years in prison. <laughs> Life in prison. She got life. He got 20 years because he uh, he testified against her. Denise, you suck ass. Which I still, that's also a toss up for me because I'm like, bit. man, but you, but do I listening to his testimony, yeah. I think he gets it. So I, yeah. I can understand the prosecution's decision to be like, you get 20 years mm-hmm. and you're welcome because you were like, he still killed with, someone. You got away like, with it for nearly that time. Right. Yes. Yeah. He will still have that in his mind forever. Right. Yeah. yeah that's punishment. Denise drove her husband, Mike Williams, away by completely detaching from the marriage and by having an affair with his best friend. Mike Williams, a successful businessman and good father, was then brought out to Lake Seminole to be slaughtered by Brian Winchester, his best friend. The true hero of this story is Cheryl Williams, Mike Williams' mother. She never gave up on her son's case, and even when the entire community refused to believe that Mike had died from anything other than an accident, she continued on. She got justice for her son after 18 long years, and even so, Cheryl and her now grown-up granddaughter, Ansley, remain estranged. Mm. This quote from Cheryl was used in the Tallahassee Democrat. It's a burden lifted. I brought her daddy home for her, and she's financially independent now. That's all I can do for Ansley is love her, and I do love her. Mm. And that is the story of the murder of Mike Williams. One of the last things that I want to add to that is when I first heard about this case, um, what was Winchester's name? Brian. Brian. As Brian was in the process of burying Mike in that shallow grave, he went back up to his truck for water or something, and other hunters pulled up Oh, behind you're him right. I forgot and about that. We were talking about driving down the road that led to the shallow grave. And he mentioned, because he had mud on his truck and things like, if, if I'm remembering correctly, he mentioned like the mud on his truck and was like, hey, don't go down there. I tried going. It didn't, like, I couldn't get my truck all the way down there. Don't get stuck. Just keep on going. And literally, like, Mike was literally like laying in a hole that wasn't covered up yet. And. You're right. I do remember that. Uh, I, I, I also. It's it's heavy. I didn't have the time to go into it, but like I could have gone into like him hiding the body, and I do remember it was a shit show. Like he had a he had a nightmare of a time. Like that in and of itself was also traumatizing for life. Him trying to hide. There was also a time, huh? Because they expected him to drown. Yeah, oh yeah, the plan right. wasn't to shoot him, it was he for him to drown yeah. and then if I'm, his body be found and yeah. then we never hear about this case ever. Yeah. And if I'm remembering correctly, there was a time where uh Mike was in the back of his truck 
and he had to go home for something. I think so. They, uh, there was something like that it's where like, like some seriously it was fucked up. It shit. was a nightmare. Yeah. I, if you're interested in this case, uh, do look into other media sources. There's a lot of other um, podcasts and shows that have done episodes on this case for probably obvious reasons. Uh, it's, it's very it's interesting. Really heavy. But mm. yes. Okay. Here's a question. I feel like if I had spent all this time planning this and it was going horribly wrong and it wasn't going the way that we anticipated at all um, and something like that happened, would you just like abort or would you just like see it through? Because you're like, I've been planning this for so long. I think it's that. I don't. How can you abort and get away with, oh, I just tossed my friend in with his waiters for fun. No, no it's even, pretty clear what he was doing. I feel like at that point it's like a alt, like equivalent of like a physical survival instinct of like I have to I try to my fucking damnedest to like get away with this because it's my life on the line. Now. And right. you also just no matter what the degree is, you never know how you're gonna respond to trauma. Mm-hmm. No matter on, what that level is. On true. the other side of that, maybe those cases happen all the time and we never hear about them because they're mm-hmm. not famous. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. I will say another detail of why their marriage had been going south um, was because they were having money problems, but it wasn't Mike's fault. It was because Denise kept spending money that was out of their budget over and over again, and Mike would get frustrated with her for going outside of their budget. So part part of her... um, reasoning for also wanting him dead was for the life insurance policy that Brian Winchester wrote and also made money on because he sold it to them was so that she could keep that money and spend at her leisure $1.75 million. And see, that's almost why I make the point that Brian's involvement in the life insurance issue should have been more of a problem because that's a massive conflict of interest. Oh my God, yeah. And just should have had a lot more problems involved with it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Granted, you know, murder eclipses monetary... Fraud. But I However, do feel like that's a big red flag for just the proceedings of it. Like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. this is my best friend. I sold him life insurance. Like, I mean, yeah. maybe not because it's like we got a sale. But like, I don't know. It's <laughs> a big. No, yeah. The red flag is huge. Yeah. <laughs> Large. Well, <laughs> thank you, everyone. <laughs> thank you, everyone, so much for joining us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. That's a huge help toward allowing us to keep the podcast going and eventually make it a weekly show, and we very much appreciate your support. If you want to see photos from this case as well as our sources, check out the link in the description. Until next time, I'm your host, Tanner Azanero, the odd one out. <laughs>